All right. Speaking of people you don't want to hang out with, I happened to stumble across this show on YouTube called Insufferable Bastards. Hmm. Hmm. It's now my favorite sound of all our sounds. Perfect. The perfectly fine. Insufferable Bastards. Uh, those of you that are into podcasts like to listen to that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, you know. Hey everybody, welcome back to Insufferable Bastards. My name is Carlos Danger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Brian Spears. Hello, Brian. Hello, hello. Very exciting. Brian is supporting a new uh, microphone, so please leave comments if you can hear Brian better than ever. So tonight, here's the agenda, or today, or whenever you listen to it. That's your business. We're going to talk about Artie Lang stepping away from his podcast. Then we're going to talk about the film that was just released to HBO Max called Nightmare Alley. And I thought we would end with a brief discussion of, what is it, episode six of the Book of Boba Fett? Yes, sir. So we'll, we'll end with that. I guess, uh, first of all, I mean, it's if you know Artie Lang, it's probably not news to you, but Artie Lang has stepped away from Artie's halfway house. The uh, podcast, like the third iteration of this podcast, I believe, it was already Quitter, you know, DirecTV at one point, then it was already Quitter, then it was a halfway house, then he went away, then it came back, blah, blah, blah. And in a statement issued to social media yesterday, he said, thanks for my fans for supporting the podcast. I'm so lucky to have you. I've decided to take a break from the show for a bit. I've got three years clean. It's not that. I just need more time to focus on being healthy. I'll be back when I'm better. And I'll be better when I'm back. Love you, Artie. So we've discussed Artie's podcast uh, previously on a couple of Insufferable Bastards episodes. It just didn't sound like Artie was into that broadcast. It sounded like he was in a fog. I speculate that he could be on medication of some kind. That's, uh, you know, to help him deal with depression or whatever. He's gone on the record and said he, he has that. But uh, the whole thing felt like it was Artie in a funk. You know, that would have been a better name for that podcast. And I just wanted to play a clip, Brian, because we've, we've, we've mentioned this, but this is a clip from what is now the last episode of Artie's Halfway House until he comes back, if he does. And it's with Rich Voss, the stand-up comedian, probably most known for his days uh, on the ONA show. And Voss talks about addiction, right? Because Voss is a recovered drug addict, uh, as is Artie. And if you listen to the clip, you know, Voss talks, and then there's this pause from Artie where he kind of doesn't offer anything. You know, he does, but it's just strange. And the podcast is full of these pauses where, I, I don't know, maybe it's the technology, maybe there's a delay in the recording, who knows, or, or maybe it's something else. And I should add, there's a probably a language warning. But here it is, Rich Voss on Artie's Halfway House. <laughs> but what, you know what I mean? So you know... It's addiction. It's just what it is for me. It's instant gratification of feeling good with with the wrong things that make me feel good. Right. I get I it. I get it. Like I was the same way with gambling. I I, I didn't realize I, I I wasn't that much of a football fan until I stopped gambling. Yeah. It, it just it. Uh, you know, and that's the podcast, right? That, yeah, that's yeah. that's what sums it up right there. And uh, it's also like 
it may, you know, you didn't, you just made me think of it. Maybe it is a technology. There's always seems to be a lag. And I just assume it was like already not really listening and trying to get his next question out. He's not talking. Yeah, it's not conversational. It's not conversational. It, and it doesn't I sound like Artie. It doesn't could. sound or feel like Artie. We certainly weren't the only ones to feel that way. Um, you know, I put some stuff on Insufferable Bastard Twitter, and there were a decent amount of responses. Uh, I guess in any event, like, like us, like the entire planet, with the possible exception of Kevin Brennan, wish Artie well. Yeah, so moving on. All right, so that's Artie Lang, the Artie Lang podcast. Nightmare Alley, Brian. Let's talk. Yeah for a little bit about Nightmare Alley. It was released, I think, around Christmas time, maybe in January. I don't know. I know it was re-released as a black and white version January 28th and then hit HBO Max February 1st. And Hulu at the same time. And weirdly Hulu. Yeah, and it's on both platforms. Box office bomb, but you can't really, it's not really a fair description because of COVID and uh, it was released the same day as Spider-Man 9, whatever it was. It's an adult movie in the sense that I don't think there's anyone under... 35 in this movie right right yeah and it's not it's not a superhero movie i guess like first things first just to state like i am a casual guillermo del toro fan you know i i if i, I was looking at his imdb i watched that netflix kids fantasy show troll hunters which was not good i don't know if you had a chance to check no that no out, i skipped but, that one but it has the guillermo del toro feel and i'll get to that and i guess in a second i did not see the shape of water i know i should have right but the more I read about it, the more I felt like I just didn't need to see it. I mean, maybe I read too many spoilers, but maybe I judged it because there is this sort of wacky mysticism in all of Guillermo del Toro's work. Uh, on one hand, that sets his stuff apart, I guess. You know, a Guillermo del Toro movie is a Guillermo del Toro movie. The man's got a vision, he's got a voice, and it comes through loud and clear in everything he makes. On the positive side, I, I did see Hellboy and Hellboy 2 and Pan's Labyrinth and Blade 2. I forgot that he was the guy behind Blade 2. Yeah. Uh, and I liked all those. I love. I will say this right off the bat. I love Blade 2. I think it's an amazing film. It's also an incredible disc on the making of. Like, But uh, I, I'm sort of on the, the same as you. Like, Guillermo's never hit a home run for me. Like, he's always like he's a solid hitter. You know what I mean? Like, you like his movies, but you don't love his movies. Yeah. I mean, you can, visually, re- you can recognize the, and you can recognize the genius in the guy. It's yeah. a strange thing where it's like, wow, this guy is like one of the most, most immensely talented guys to ever pick up a camera, it feels like. But there's a weird, I don't know, there's a weird, weird coldness to his movies, at least to me. They never quite. Pull me in, but I haven't seen The Shape of Water. That's probably one of the best reviewed movies of the last decade, but I don't know. But you know what, though, Brian? I didn't love it either. I was no? kind of, I mean, I, maybe I'm giving things away. I'm, it's kind of in the same atmosphere as this movie. But I think, secondly, the thing about Guillermo del Toro, as a personality, like as a guy on Twitter, as a guy in social media, as a guy who does a lot of interviews, he's really likable. And mm-hmm. he's, he, he seems like a movie fan. He seems like a guy you could hang out with. He has you know? an entire house devoted to props and movie. He has famous makeup artists rebuild scenes from movies like live action not live action but life-size like wax museum pieces in this one hole he bought a whole house just to hold all this stuff he is an incredible lover of the genre world of uh, physical effects practical makeups he embraces he's like a big kid he was on mark maron's podcast right before christmas and he really opens up 
about his thoughts, not only with movies, but I mean, he'll tell you here, here's what this movie's about. And you know how yeah. some like actors don't like to go behind their process or their craft, like De Niro most, most uh, famously, but he's not like that. He, he just opens up. And I like the Marin interview because he, he spent a lot of time talking about it. It's kind of what you just said here, how he was fascinated as a kid by uh, carny culture yeah. and yeah. sideshow stuff. Uh, he talks about how it was almost comforting to him, which is a strange point of view because most people, when they see like a fetus in a jar, you're repulsed by that. You avert your eyes. You know, it, it unlocks or it touches something unpleasant uh, in you, but he finds some type of solace with that stuff. And that sort of informs his movies. Like he acknowledges in this interview he did with Marin before, Mark Marin on the WTF podcast, that his past movies have been somewhat whimsical, which you just kind of alluded to. Okay, yeah. He says that he admits that like Pan's Labyrinth is this strange mix of the Spanish Civil War, you know, a real event mixed with like sort of a dark children's fantasy, fantasy tale. And it's like really unique and really weird. Uh, so here he is talking uh, on Marin about this particular uh, movie. And, and, and I should say, I'll set up a little more. What he's going to say, Nightmare Alley has none of that whimsy. You know, it's totally different from anything else he's made, according to him. And I think that kind of sets the table for at least what my opinion on this, because I, I had a hard time with this. He is... Why? Why do it now? You know why? Why is it? And and, and I was responding to a, a feeling of anxiety, a feeling of disarticulation of um, truth and lies, and 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 the capacity we have to and belief and belief and belief, yeah. and the capacity we have to be cruel to each other in an almost seemingly endless way. The capacity of the movie is essentially about mankind's capacity to be. Uh, inhumane to each other in seemingly seemingly endless ways. So, like on one hand, there's nobody making movies like Del Toro because the guy does uh, make you feel. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, I felt like after I watched whatever it was two and a half hours of this movie, I don't know how to feel about this movie. Like I know how to how to feel emotionally. At the end of it, I felt terrible, depressed, yeah. sad, bleak. But overall, good. just by the end of it, I I was yeah. just like. But I, I had to question, well, is this the journey I just wanted to take? Is this the story I wanted to sit through for, for two and a half hours? Because at the, at the very end of this movie, and I should say, spoiler alerts, should have said this right at the top, but I felt like there's that scene in, in, in Anchorman where Rod and Burgundy is trapped in the, in the freaking uh, uh, phone booth where it's... Like this is that is Nightmare Alley. This is the this is our review, and then we're gonna stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the end of it, I was like, "Why the hell did I just watch this?" It's a Twilight Zone movie, almost in the sense that, oh. like, uh, you know, it is. I guess it's just a depressing. You're just like, "Oh, wow, whoa, all right." It's just ending right there. Okay, like it's just. <laughs> Sorry, I could play it's, that all This day. is also for me, this movie, because it's based on a book, then based on a Tyrone Powell. Am I yep. saying it right? Or yes, uh, yeah. Uh 1947 movie or something like that. Like yep. a re like, but now it's also, I think, almost an hour longer than the Tyrone Powell movie. Now, my problem, my big problem with this movie, it's either too long or too short. 
Yeah, I yo now that I sit through it, I, I think let me see if I can uh, uh, try to state that back to you if I'm getting what you're saying. Yeah, it's two and a half hours, but there's so much shoved into this movie. There's complete character arcs that like happen within five minutes. Yes, like I don't yeah. know if I want like if you would have told me this was a TV show, and again we talk about TV so much, right? Yeah, all the time. This yeah. could have been great. Like if this was a six episode show, and we, like almost like. Because it spent either too much time in the carnival, not enough time in the middle. And then the end is just like, let's just introduce a bunch of weirdo rich people. And then the whole oh, thing, I agree like, with you. Like you could the whole movie could have just been about Richard Jenkins character or the whole movie could have been about uh, David Stratharian's character, Pete, who I think deserves an Oscar. Like he's so good in this. Yeah, uh, he was so But like all of it together, it's not you're not. It's, it's either too much, too much I, development. I or felt not the enough. same. I felt the same way. And I guess briefly, let's let's go over the plot as quick as I mean, this is not a podcast that we just assume you've seen the movie, yeah. but it's sort of hard to talk about the movie without at least going into it because there's sure. so much stuffed into this thing. I had to write it down. So, yeah, and it's based on a book that came out came out in 1946, which okay. is pretty amazing, giving the subject matter and, and some of the things this story seems to be saying but so it's at the tail end of the great depression bradley cooper is this dude stan who has some type of past wanders into a carnival and is sort of immediately attracted to and enamored by the grift of it all there's like a sleazy criminality of the carnival and the carnies that he immediately seems taken by he becomes very quickly a mentalist under the direction of madame Zena and her aforementioned uh, drunkard husband pete and uh, Madame Zena is Tony Collette, who's great in the movie, yep. and David uh, Strathern, however you say his name, who's also, I don't know, I, I looked it up on YouTube beforehand. But so there, then we're also introduced at the first part of this movie to the cast of characters who work at the carnival. And you think it's going to be like Carnival, that HBO show. And Willem Dafoe shows up. I didn't know he was in this movie. He shows up out of nowhere, at least to me, as the boss. And he's so good in this movie, it's actually a negative. And here's a quick soundbite of a Defoe in action in this thing. Begotten by the same lust and threat that got us all walking on this earth, but gone wrong somehow in the maternal womb. <laughs> the other carnies in this movie include Ron Perlman, who is pitch perfect in this movie. And he's got a fatherly relationship with Molly, who's, um, I, you know, I didn't write down her name. What's her Rooney name? Mara? Mara? Rooney Mara, yeah. Uh, she falls in love and then runs away from the carnival with Stan Bradley Cooper, who by this point has accidentally or not killed his mentor, David Strathern, and uh, taken all his secrets. The movie then skips ahead two years and joins Stan and Molly, who become successful mentalists in Buffalo, New York. I had to look that up on Wikipedia. I didn't realize it was Buffalo. And uh, where they do these high-end shows for rich industrialists uh, and the like. From there, Stan joined forces with a psychiatrist, played by Kate Blanchett, to scam the scary rich guy, Ezra Grindle, played by the great Richard Jenkins. So like Brian alluded to, there is, and I'm, I'm not even touching upon it at all, there oh, is a lot going on in this Mary movie. Mary Steenburgen shows up in that era, in that part too, and you forget, like, I, I had to rewind that and like, what, what's going there, on? And, and I mean, the best thing about this movie is probably the cast. It's stuffed with good performances from good actors. Mary Steenburgen shows up. Holt 
a colony Mc, McClan, Mc, the guy from Mali McNally from mine hunters. Yeah. M C C A L L A N Y. However you pronounce that Tim Blake Nelson has one yeah. scene. Uh, but for me, one of the biggest flaws, and this might just be a personal preference type thing. We got to stay with Bradley Cooper the whole time. Yeah. Bradley Cooper. I, I, to me, I mean, the movie's about him. It's his journey. And to me, that's a twofold problem. I'm just not a huge fan of Bradley oh, Cooper right. as I an actor. I thought I was a weirdo because I, I, I don't know. There's not one movie of Bradley Cooper's that has really had an impact on me. And right. sometimes, and I and listen, I'm, I'm putting his movie star image to like, he seems conceited. He seems, uh, and I don't know. It's just the characters he plays. He seems like in love with himself. There's a sameness, you know, because he's, I mean, I guess he can be an everyman to me, but he's, it's like a Robbie Benson type thing. It's like a Ben Affleck type thing a little bit. He's a little, to me, he's a little interchange. I just, the, the first thing I, I didn't, I didn't, and, and, and like in this movie, I don't mean to stutter. I didn't get him. I didn't get his character. Was he good guy, bad guy? I needed, I wanted some indication early on. Maybe I'm not supposed to. What's this dude's deal? Yeah. And Bradley Cooper just brings nothing to it. I never felt for his character. I, and, and I guess I, from everything I read about, you know, from the book and the earlier version of this movie, he's supposed to be like stunningly charismatic that he can just convince this, this girl to run off with them. He has this, whatever that word is, Senvali, Vengali, I'll have to edit that. You know, he's kind of a cult leader almost. He's so charismatic. And I, you don't get any of that from, from this dude. I, I just, he's sort of just a blank slate. From beginning to originally, end. Uh, they were courting pretty hard uh, DiCaprio. The, the minute Bradley Cooper came on screen, I just started casting other actors in my head. I was like, oh, Jaquan Phoenix should be this guy. Yes, I could have pictured anyone else. Also, maybe he brings too much baggage to the role. What do you mean? Like, he's just, I know who Bradley Cooper is. You he's know too big I mean? a star like, at this moment. He, he he's too old, like, uh, yeah. overexposure. Maybe it's because that's what I felt like DiCaprio when he took the part. It's like enough Leo DiCaprio. You need a character actor, not a movie star for this. And, and I think, and we talked about this. I had a, how it, it's sort of, it's a long movie, but it's, it's told in these quick parts. So it, it's segmented so badly, I want to say, because, all right, Willem Dafoe shows up. You know, I, I want to hang out with that guy. This guy, yeah. is, he's scary. It's essentially a glorified cameo. They have this great thing where they're there. It's set up and, and you're learning. Yeah. Like you said, the code of the carnies and Bradley Cooper's warned from the start, like, don't go beyond this. Don't start doing these quote unquote spook shows because yeah. bad things will happen. They warn him. And of course he's like, he just ignores them, but it doesn't make, I don't understand him as a character because he doesn't seem to that egotistical. I, I don't really get it, but I had a really big problem when they left the carnival. I was like, yeah. oh, wait, you're going to now I got to go hang out with Bradley Cooper and and the, the female character the the two least interesting characters we're now going to spend the rest of the movie with. I had a problem with that. And then they introduce the psychiatrist. I don't know what her Kate Blanchett. I, I'm still like, what was I mean, that? That wasn't a character. But also Del Toro, like she perfectly captures that femme fatale that era he's going for where it's almost too perfect. Like that was from you hold up any, you know, picture from like a, a film noir movie. It's like, he just said like, re, it's almost like, it's so disturbingly perfectly recreated that that also took me out of it. It's like a moving you know painting she, to me. She's yeah. sort of, it, she's, it's almost like, and this is not a fair comparison, but 
I'll try to explain it. It was like Jessica Rabbit shows up. It was she. She it was like suddenly yeah, she's the, perfectly drawn for that situation. She was that like a cartoon, make- a cartoon character in this live action movie, and I didn't. And again, I didn't get it. She's really well acted. It's not right. like none of these performance. It's just they all are. I don't know in a different movie for a second. Like I, and I was I was fascinated by the angle the story seemed to be taking on uh, psychiatry. I like the fact that. And I guess this must have been pretty uh, badass for the book at the time, but it equates a carny, you know, con man game. As psychiatry. To, to, as psychiatry? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically, psychiatry is just, uh, you know, it's just it's just a con game wrapped up in a Ph.D., which is I mean, it's very cynical. You know, and this is a very cynical movie. And it makes uh, me you- want this that that whole section actually uh, actually makes me want to uh, look up the book because that whole Richard Jenkins character, which I guess in the original movie is definitely not shown that way. Like they brought all like because it's you know, they could do that because the laws were way different about movies back then. But he that was like one of the most interesting characters. But you only had a line of what his backstory was like. Kind There's of. so much of that. Yeah, and that would have been an incredible part of the movie. But it, it dude, it happened so quick that I was like, I will all say this. This was a long movie that I had like I, I dozed a few areas i it was i i wrote down in my notes it, it's a slog it was a it was a slog to get through it's and beautiful when I say I, I, art I, I deco dozed. and all that you know it all looks like the empire state building it's but or the interior of the empire state building but jesus i don't know when i say i doze though i rewound like i only missed seconds you know what <laughs> right. i mean it just was one of those things like i'm like where uh, and i so i guess slog is the right word because i I wanted more of certain storylines and not enough or, or, or not. I got too much in other ones. I had a major weird. I had a a major issue, you know, and maybe this is because some of the 1946 was a long time ago at this point. And it it kind of felt like this was, I didn't read the book, but I don't know the book. When you, when you, when you see descriptions of it, it's more like Pulp Fiction. It's more like a throwaway dime novel than this very serious ponderous, a movie about uh, existential dread. And it was a salacious is... novel at the time because I looked that yeah. up because it did have like geeks. It did have the 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 which the was te- fascinating. That was yeah. that was horrible when you hear Willem Dafoe describe. Well, here's yeah. how we get the, get the geek in there, and that you know the opening scene, and that all kind of just goes away, and it's just this movie about impending doom. But okay, here's a, maybe because this was an old timey novel. What works sometimes in those 1946 movies or 1930 stuff? It's become cliched. 60, 70 years later. So Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett strike this deal together where Blanchett as a psychiatrist feeds Cooper, the con man mentalist um, info regarding uh, her clients, her patients who are ultra rich. And this being the tale under the Great Depression, people are desperate, desperate, desperate for money. And this escalates to the movie's big sting that Brian sort of mentioned where they target the Richard Jenkins a character and so the big sting thing the final grift is they're going to make this guy see a woman who's dead she's going to be an, an apparition <laughs> and you're like that's the big plan yeah so literally the towards the end of the movie it's bradley cooper trying <laughs> to convince happens in 10 minutes yeah this is what we're gonna do it's- you're gonna you're gonna put on a wig and if i don't do this i'm gonna get killed because these guys are really mad at me because it turns out he has his whole other past and he hurts oh i gotta do that and that's the big thing we're gonna we're gonna bring a person back from the dead and hope that he doesn't notice that it's not actually a woman back from the dead and i'm and then they spend like 10 minutes I'm, I'm, that's supposed to be 
It, I'm like, that's so ridiculous. Please just get it over with. And instead yeah. they sort of build it and build it and build it. So the big, this is the climax of the movie and it's, it's ridiculous, right? When it comes down to it, I felt. So that was a major, it was basically a Scooby-Doo scam. Like now well, yeah, in 2022 I, or 2022, whatever year it is, that's a Scooby-Doo scam. It just, the movie just goes on to like a coda ending, like an epilogue ending. That you're just, you know, it's going to happen and you're just yeah. like, okay, get to it already. Okay. Get to it already. Okay. Get to it already. I, I yeah, I, I found myself saying that a lot, but you know, on this, uh, and I guess I should, I should get, this is the part of the podcast where we bash Marvel movies to some extent. These fucking superhero movies, how many fucking more can they do? So the major villain of uh, of superhero movies is this director called Martin Scorsese. I don't know if you've heard of him. I think he made like uh, Condon or something like that. So he wrote Silence. a he wrote a piece in the uh, op ed. I'm sorry, not in the op ed. He wrote an op ed in the L.A. Times, urging people to see Nightmare Alley, basically describing it as pure film noir. And film noir, he sort of says it's more than he alludes to this. It's more than just film noir is more than just like a detective story with snappy dialogue, you know, and, and uh, Kim Basinger as a as a blonde and staccato dialogue, whatever. I think I already said staccato dialogue. But uh, so there's this long piece and maybe I'll just read it all, try to go fast. But he says the majority of the picture takes place in the 30s and it seems to grow out of the bitterness and despair of the depression. You can feel it in the images and in the body language of the actors. All the characters in this film are feeling real pain, a sense of spiritual desolation rooted in everyday life. This isn't just a matter of style or visuals, exquisite as the film is. It's a matter of Guillermo's complete commitment to the material, to bringing his vision to life with his production designer, his costume designer, his DP, and his amazing cast, led by Bradley Cooper and Keith Blanchett. They work together to create a dead-end universe out of the American past, and they do it inside and out, through and through. One more paragraph. In that sense, the film is truer to the animating spirit of film noir than the many homages that have been made over the years and are still being made now. Guillermo is certainly speaking from and to his own time, but he's doing so in the idiom of a time gone by. And the urgency and despair of then overlaps with the urgency and despair of now in a way that's quite disturbing, like a warning bell disturbing but exhilarating at the same time that's what art can do i hate to disagree with um you know the greatest obviously my opinion holds as much because of the internet weight as martin scorsese but i didn't find this movie exhilarating come on exactly. marty but maybe he's looking at it the i mean again i think this movie is amazing looking and it it comes close to capturing that period but again it's almost too re like it's too movie for me it's too yeah i mean this deserves oscars it'll get an oscar for cinematography maybe uh set design Production costumes design. Yeah, whatever crazy. whatever they give that stuff for i i wouldn't be surprised if they they have to nominate guillermo de toro for an oscar for this uh but the movie is essentially existential dread personified and that's a that was a tough sell to sit through i can't recommend a movie that's just about impending doom it, it and i get that the original me... i get that like the original film noirs are viewed as an expression of the old bottled up trauma that world war ii soldiers came home and they couldn't talk about what they had done and what they had seen they just had to buy a house and do all this and these movies were expressing the dark underbelly of american culture like immediately after world war ii that's what film noir is i guess but like, you know, Double Indemnity was described as a movie without a trace of pity or love, probably the most famous film noir. 
I mean, Nightmare Alley makes Double Indemnity look like Toy Story. This movie is just so, it's just, if Bad Feeling were a, a movie, that's what this is. It's like, what is that, 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 that Pixar movie about emotions? Uh, oh, whatever the heck that, that. was. It's, it's a movie where- Sing? I don't, Song? I don't know. I'm talking about Sing 2. But anyway, this is that. Well, you it's know just what? just a it bad is, vibe. For me, and it, it, it is nowhere, I'm <laughs> comparing it to this movie. It reminds me of uh, Midsommar, like a movie that I probably won't watch again, but will like stick with me and I will remember things. And it's a stylish, like beautiful thing, but it's just such so much to sit through. It's like every novel they made you read in high school. I get that it's good. I respect its artistry, but man, I'm not sitting through that again. And also I do do think this is some of the best casting ever. Like, I mean, I didn't even know that David Sustarian was still alive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know he wasn't dead, but like that guy was awesome in this as Pete. I thought he was so freaking good. Yeah, and just Tim Blake Nelson showing up. That was like, oh, come on, let's do a sequel. They should do a sequel. That's just totally a horror movie. They let's continue Bradley Cooper's descent into depravity. Let's get him and as I, the I don't want to, I guess I just And I didn't did read anything ended. about this except for the part where like, whoa, we'll wait till the end ending and wait till it flip you know and i just didn't think there was a flip ending i didn't think there was like it like i said it's a twilight zone movie you you yeah you know yeah maybe was i didn't oh henry was, did oh henry write the stories was it oh henry that wrote the stories that have like the ironic endings or whatever it was it kind of reminded me of that okay i'm gonna cough yeah i don't know so i guess that, that's nightmare alley i guess i guess the the title of this episode should be i can't wait for nightmare alley too <laughs> That's going to be the one that knocks it out of the park, man. We're going to get Bradley Cooper in a cage, right? He could be the new slasher. They, you know, they don't need to remake Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just make Nightmare Alley 2. We should get on it. Call up Greenberg. Let's get a script ordered. All right. You know, I just realized we are the Insufferable Bastards podcast. And every week, week in and week out, we bash Marvel movies. We bash superhero movies. We bash the public's mainstream taste. We invite people to to give their opinion, and then we make fun of them for it. We're, we're we're sort of elitist, and we're snobs. We've been accused of, and in this very episode, we are bashing an adult movie, you know, a big budget Hollywood movie, and now we're gonna sing the praises of the Book of Boba Fett, the Disney yeah. pa- prepackaged. We are such hypocrites, and it hurts. I'm just. I realized when I was playing uh, a couple episodes ago, we were playing stuff from uh, that that Netflix show Voir, the one about Jaws, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I, we're complete hypocrites. But anyway, I just want to acknowledge that 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 I do I do see that right because if anything, we try to be self aware on this goddamn show. Book of Boba Fett episode six came out. We were gushing a week ago over. I, I mean, this shouldn't be a podcast that just reacts to Book of Boba Fett every week, but somehow it's happening. Spoiler alert again, if you didn't see it, they brought back Luke Skywalker, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Brian, what'd you think? I mean, that was, the Luke Skywalker stuff was cool. I was more excited they brought back Timothy Oliphant, but. Uh, well, mean, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was kind of a bummer then. They, well, maybe he's not dead. He got shot. No, he's not dead, dude. He's going to come the, back and like, the, he's the Cavalry. They're going to come gotta, back, whatever. He's got to get in there, right? He's got to yeah, join the game. Yeah, that's the, okay, cool. that's the Western right there, the Western war movie right there. You think the man's gone. He's got to come back because the town's going to rally against him. He'll come back. He'll have a scar on the side of his face. It'll be awesome. And I'm sure that, the, that bad guy, I mean, I don't know the history. I'm, I, I guess that guy's from Clone Wars or whatever. Yeah, I, had I didn't to look read that anything up about it. I Is was he? Like, Whoa. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just looks I, like he's, I've he's, seen, I think he's, he's a, a They said the first time 
in live action. So he must be a cartoon figure. Okay. And it was cool. You could look right away. It's like, oh, that, that's a bad dude who probably has an interesting backstory of some kind that I don't really care about. I can just look at him and, and, and sense that, which is a sign. But of again, a the only thing story. I'm going to say this again, great episode. It's just, again, you know what it was missing? Boba yeah. Fett. It's, it's the weirdest show in the history. It's almost like, and I know this is impossible, but the show plays like at episode four, they got together and they'd be like, hey, you guys seen Twitter? We're getting, we're getting our ass kicked yeah. here on Twitter. And then they just wrote these really well and put them out there really fast somehow through the magic of, of, of the movies. But uh, yeah, I mean, I did feel, and again, I'm such a hypocrite, but when Luke Skywalker is, you know, I don't know, running through the woods, the lily fields, whatever, the bamboo fields with Empire, the little Yoda. Man. It was Empire all over again. With the little, little yeah. Reversed. It was like, I was like, oh my God, this, this damn movie is hitting me. And I don't want to admit that uh, I'm getting a little teary eyed and that it's literally touching my heart. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a 54 or a 48 year old cynical uh, local news reporter with a bad attitude. But it did. I mean, I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. And it made me think immediately how angry I am at the way Han Solo and Luke Skywalker were treated in yes. the newer movies. Yes. And it does feel like this guy, Dave Filoni, if I ever see him, I'm going to shake his hand because it's like, yeah, just that's, yeah, I know. Okay. Maybe it's, it's playing off nostalgia. It's fan it's, service. They're, they're sort of doing but it right. though. It was like, yeah, show a little respect. And, and we finally got it. Why couldn't they have been, I would have, it would have been awesome to see Luke Skywalker as an old man for, you know what I mean? They didn't, I don't know. It's so disappointing what they did with the, those those iconic characters and, and this is proof of that if anything this is proof of that at the same time uh mark hamill's not the greatest actor of all time you know so, what i mean so we, the we, cgi version is doing yeah. much better it well it was like it was it, it was he was kind of dead in the i mean it looked better yeah. And I think it, it was de-aging, right? Wasn't this de-aging? I thought it was, I don't know. Oh, My wife said I something. Mean, I just assumed they hired another actor and put his and put like reworked his face, but like I could a deep be, fake? I have no idea. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't bother reading, but I, I, don't, it was, I don't really care about that. They did right. much better this time around yes, than they yes, did at yes, the yes. very end of, uh, or maybe I was just again used to it. No, I mean, no, I've, I've gone back and watched, I, I recently watched that last scene. Okay. And that's it's terrible. I mean, it's cool. Okay. He shows up. It's it's it, you know you want to get off out of your seat even a year later and cheer. But it's an awful it's an awful CGI character. This one is also it, you know it's a little creepy because he's just something. It's like his his face isn't moving above his upper lip. It was it was yeah. a little disturbing. It was a little Real Housewives of New Jersey. Right when it happened, right when he appeared, I'm like, oh man, like I got a little angry because oh, I mean okay. I just didn't want that much fan service. But what they're doing is. They're bringing this. The story is is bringing me in more than like, oh, because that was cool. I got into it more when he started running and I, you know, you saw the training like then I was like, all right, I'm into this. Like because at first second, I was just like, ah, you're telling such a good story. Do you need to go back to these things? Yeah, don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't but look at my all sister of a sudden, that way. It, it worked. It, and it might have been because he did look a little bit better. And they also shot it sometimes where you just didn't see his face. They framed yeah, him out which, and it was like, I was like, all right, that's, that's cool. Like they're not giving me too much when he's jumping it, around. The time has up. come though. Let, all right. You're going to show us young school Skywalker to get another actor to play Luke Skywalker. I mean, you well, know, part of me wishes they would just do that. Yeah. Like, come on. but I get, you know, and that's where the fan service and I could get, I could get behind a new actor, but I bet you all those other star Wars geeks, they're like, Ugh. 
Yeah, it could be yeah, tough like, to swallow. I'm yeah. just thinking, or they should have, <laughs> they should have like the original Star Wars uh, Kenner action figure. Action figure, just, just holding it. <laughs> Look, you want the original? There it is. Uh, the other thing I thought was just weird. What's her name? Oshaka, Osheka, Oshaka. Yeah, o- I can't Ashka. say. It, but how about we just yeah, Rosario. Rosario Dawson shows up and she's just like, "Hey, what's up? How you doing? Oh, you yeah. want to go see him? I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's up to you, man." And Mandalorian is like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. But she does the same thing to Luke, too. And then, she sh- then she's like, hey, Luke, what's up? How are things? <laughs> All right, I'll catch you later. I'm out of here. And then she's just like, what was that? It was just like, by the way, this one has her own show, too, coming soon well, to the Disney Channel. Well, that's what it feels like now. They're just like, yeah. they're throwing it all in there. Like, cause yeah, also, that was ridiculous. It gives them a, ch- you know, Grogu, Baby Yoda gets a, a choice. A choice oh, at right. the end That's of this how, episode, yeah. which is, you know. Why is Luke always like, a dick? <laughs> did he, but, I mean, come on. We all know what he's going to choose. Like, Do that, we? It's all, oh, yeah. He's going he's gonna to be a Mandalorian. Yeah. Cause, well, the because other then thing, there's no show if there's no well, show. Oh, yeah. Like, like, you'll never right. see that guy again. It was, it was his yeah. choice. And then the stupid gift he gives him is like little doll clothes. Oh, dude, I thought it was going to be a helmet. I thought it's it was something. a helmet the whole time. Or I like a necklace, like, a locket. No, I thought it was going to be a helmet. It's a freaking, it's a whatever, the chainmail dress. I'm like, he, what is some, this? He, he gave him some doll clothes. You know, I mean, they, they always kind of remind Grogu how small he is. He's probably has a, has a, you know, some type of, uh, you know, he's insecure about his height, for God's sakes. Uh, the other thing that kind of bums me out about it, and again, it ties back to those stupid new ones that came out, which I like the, the first one, but not, now I'm like, I hate them all. You know where this ends, right? Because it wasn't Luke, and I guess we should have had Matt Maisto on. I guess everybody who's really into Star Wars or bothers. To, look, we did some we did some research on Nightmare Alley, okay? We didn't really research the Book of Boba Fett to find out what's what. But isn't Luke just building the training center where he's going to raise Harrison Ford's or Han Solo's kid who grows up to be the guy so. from See, Sex I'm, in the I'm City? I'm so bad at this now. Like I think, because that's what ends up happening. So this yeah. is actually, so this story, it can only go so far because you're like, oh, eventually Luke raises, what's his name? What's that guy's name from Sex in the City? And he's, he's a good actor oh. and he's in everything. You know what I'm talking about. Kylo Ren? Kylo Ren, right. Yeah, we'll just call him Kylo Ren. Eventually that, yeah, that's, I thought that was a training ground. Kylo Ren's going to be. Um, but so, so I, yeah, I don't know. So that's kind of a see, I, Again, all that, like I forgot all that. Other, see, that's the other problem. I almost feel like I, I almost went well, back good. and put those other movies on. But oh. now I'm just like, oh, it'll just muddle my mind more. I'll just wait for Shane to correct us after this. At, on Facebook, like, yes. Idiots. <laughs> This is I know what we, it's supposed to we be. flat out say, look, we don't know. We didn't bother look it up. We don't care. Shane still says, hey, dummies. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause I'm I'm kind of at the thing now where I'm just rediscovering everything, Star Wars. Like, just give it again. I don't know who that blue-eyed, blue, blue guy with red eyes, like the the Lee Van Cleef of Star Wars. Like, <laughs> right. I have no idea who that was. Lee Van Cleef showed up. Like, I was that's just right. Like, oh, yeah, the right, ugly show, the bad. He would be the bad. Like it was just oh, that's so, so cool funny, yeah. Because I was like, all right, and I'm sure there was a bunch of nerds jerking off somewhere because that was just yeah. so like, I you could tell that was like supposed to be a big character. The way they introduce him is, I mean, it's so western though. He, you don't get to see his yeah. face. You don't get to see his face, but you know what he looks like because you. Oh, and he finally my, showed it. Oh, he showed his face. Oh. My other complaint with ah! I'm, I'm seeing a lot Sorry. of Boba Fett is these characters have really long walks. There was that time we talked about the Chewbacca, like yeah, kind of walking Chewbacca. off frame and they held it way too long. Awkward. Same thing with this guy walks from out of the desert. Oh, that nowhere, was, yeah. But then just turns around and just 
Like you just killed the sheriff and no, he turns his back and just keeps it, walking uh, 700 miles. Where's it's that. It's that scene from Monty Python on the Holy Grail where you see a knight coming from off in the distance and then it goes back to the guards and it goes yeah. back and then, and then all of a sudden he just, he just stabs him. Yeah, it was exactly that. That was really like, yeah, I don't know why I give Book of Boba Fett a pass because that was awful. That was, it, well, now that I think about it, that's one of the dumbest things. It was almost like it's a parody dumb, of a works. Western. It's so guy, like, like why would you, so why bad. would you get on a, I mean, it's this future and space and all that you don't have, I don't know if it's the future, actually, I don't want to get into the parallel, who knows, you know, Spider-Man will show up in some universe, parallel universe, but yeah, why aren't you, why are you walking that whole way? That didn't make any sense. That's a long way to walk, dude. But all right. So I guess that's it, Brian, right? That's yeah. been a whole episode. Uh, I thought about holding this till next week. We're recording this on February 5th, but maybe I'll go ahead and try to edit and release it uh, tonight. Uh, go back and listen if you hadn't. I mean, it's, it was for my, my my job, but Brian was a part of it. It was essentially, a, it was a, it was a insufferable bastards without a cursing. And we talked to Scary Larry Dwyer. Oh, I had a lot nice of fun. Guest. Yeah, yeah, we were on our best behavior. And uh, I thought it was, it was a fun one. We talked about, uh, uh, not Wolverine, the Howling, Howling and Ginger, Ginger snaps. snaps. So people should check that out. All right, so for Brian Spears, oh. I am, go ahead. Well, nah, just go. Just end. This was Insufferable Bastards, and I'll see you next time.